Hello, everybody. Welcome back, finally, to the Exert Breakthrough Lab podcast. I know it's been such a long time, and we've been getting so many emails, uh, messages, comments on social media asking when the next podcast is going to be. Uh, so I'm very excited to, uh, to finally be sitting down, uh, as usual. Um, I'm your host, Scott Steele, and I'll be joined by Armando Mastracci. Hey, everyone. And Dr. Stephen Chung. Happy 2021. It's been a while. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's finally, finally good to sit down and, and have a chance to, to do one of these. I know, uh, as we'll see in, in the podcast today, we've been so busy uh, behind the scenes, uh, rolling out a lot of new features, all the new testing. Um, so it, it's been uh, much longer than usual, but we're really excited to, to have a, a chance to sit down and finally uh, finally talk some more. So um, I thought we'd just uh, catch up some of our users on what we've been up to since the last podcast. It's been, uh, I believe, a couple of months. So um, maybe Dr. Chung, if you want to uh, get us started and uh, just let everyone know what you've been working on. Well, the most important thing is I fired one of my uh, master's students back in January. <laughs> so it's an auspicious occasion that Scott can tell you more about later on. And, uh, and then we... We just managed to get our lab reopened for one of our projects. So it's been a year though. So we're trying to figure out what the heck were we actually doing a year ago and trying to set the lab up again and hopefully get that going. And in the meantime, I've been doing a lot of different science communication initiatives in addition to the environmental ergonomics symposia that I've been organizing since April. 2020, I've also branched out into doing more kind of um, everyday science communication. So every Wednesday, starting in February, I've been putting up short three to four minute environmental physiology kind of everyday science videos that are meant for the general public. And they're all available on the environmental ergonomics YouTube channel. So they've been quite popular so far to the extent that I've had people actually asking me to do do uh, videos on particular topics of their interest. So that's been really neat. And, uh, and then the other thing in terms of cycling science, I've been working with Fast Talk Labs to um, kind of in their community and membership model to do a lot of workshops and webinars on different topics in cycling science itself. So been trying to keep myself busy while I'm uh, still kind of out of the lab. So it's been been good overall. And then otherwise just doing a lot of riding and and uh, just got back out bouldering again last week. So for the first time. Yeah, I saw the uh, the actual bouldering facilities finally back open. It's been uh, quite a while since you were able to do that. Yeah. And also uh, we made it out to the Niagara Glen on the first warm sunny day of the year. So that was uh, that was a shock to the system again. I know usually by now, uh, I think almost every year by now, I've had at least one outdoor ride in. I think this is probably the longest I've I've gone uh, in uh, five years uh, that I've been uh, training and, and riding where I haven't gotten a, an outdoor ride in before. The middle of or end of March. So it's looking promising here on Sunday. It's supposed to be, uh, I believe, 13 degrees and warm and sunny. So yeah, you're uh, just not used to the cold Canadian weather as a problem. Uh, coming, see, coming from Wisconsin, right? See, so you know, it, it's roughly the same temperature, but I think I've <laughs> I become, just tease you, of course. I've, but I, I've yeah. become more and more babied uh, with a lot of these group sessions. It's, it's a lot more convenient just to leave the bike set up on the trainer and uh, get up early in the morning, even though it's negative eight out, I can just hop on my trainer and get a nice, uh, group ride in first thing in the morning. It makes it so much easier, but, uh, I am definitely looking forward to being back outside and on the bike. Yeah. We'll uh, talk a little bit more yeah. about these sessions. We're going to cover a lot of that, uh, today, but, uh, so I guess, uh, I'll, I'll jump in. Um, as, uh, as Dr. Chung was saying, uh, I was able to successfully defend my master's thesis uh, back in January, which was uh, a very stressful time, but uh, uh, I'm glad. I, I think the, the defense went about as well as I, I could have imagined uh, it have going. We had a, an external examiner, uh, Dr. Passfield, uh, who was able to sit in and be part of the uh, thesis defense. 
he brought a lot of his insights. Um, and I think we had just a very good open discussion uh, in terms of the thesis defense. It didn't feel necessarily um, as if uh, I, my work was being attacked or anything. I think it was more just, a, uh, like I said, an open discussion. And I think uh, with the project that we were able to do, I think it generates some interesting questions um, and prompts, I think, follow-up questions and studies. So uh, that was really good. And, and pretty much uh, as, soon as, as soon as we wrapped that up, uh, I've been fortunate uh, to get hitting the ground running full speed, uh, uh, full time here at Exert. So uh, we've been busy with a lot of the, the testing. Um, we've, we're seeing uh, a lot of growth. So it's good to see uh, a lot of new customers and, uh, uh, and people really getting interested and, and getting excited behind what we're doing here at Exert. And, and so uh, for me, like, I can't believe it's, I can't believe we're halfway through March already. Like this is, it, this year has just been flying by, but um, a, a lot of the training this year for me has, like I said, been indoor, uh, testing out a lot of our new indoor uh, group features, which we'll talk about, but uh, I am, I, I, I'm starting to hit that plateau with my indoor riding where uh, the training load is starting to, to level out. So I know this is the point where I need to start adding in more of those uh, longer outdoor rides uh, if I want to continue uh, building up that training load. So looking forward to getting outside and getting some nice warm weather, long rides and, and coffee shops. So that'll be fun. But, yeah, it's uh, been great uh, yeah. having you join us yeah. uh, full time, Scott. It's been, it's been an awesome start. So I'm, I'm excited to see uh, what we have coming up next. Yeah, well, uh, you know, on, on, on my side of things, you know, it's been, um, as I, I tell people, we're just been in a full court press, basically, for the last few months, just trying to do everything we can to get out a bunch of new features, both on the, uh, on the exert session side that we're going to talk, talk about, as well as on the app side, where we come up, we've come out with a new app on Android um, and uh, soon to be on, even on Hammerhead is the expectation. So, so we've been super, super busy uh, getting all that stuff ready. Um, and so, um, yeah, we really haven't had much of time to put our heads together and get a podcast out just because we've been so busy with other things. But uh, aside from that, you know, from me, uh, from my end, you know, having broken my pelvis back in uh, October, um, what I decided to do, um, is, uh, during my rehab. So lucky for me, I was able to get back on the bike after about four weeks after the injury. And, uh, you know, it just kind of obviously wasn't able to, uh, you know, put up much power on the bike. Uh, everything kind of hurt, but I was able, at least I was able to kind of start my rehab process after about four weeks. And, um, what I started to do in fact was, um, uh, separate my data between my right leg and my left leg. So I, you know, created two accounts on Exert, and I rather than you, you know, monitor the percentage, like the uh, kind of left-right percentage uh, during my riding, I actually decided I was going to completely separate my left power, my left signature, and my right power and my right signature. So ma manage them as two completely separate profiles. And collect data on you know both separate pro profiles. So that was the um, that's kind of what I set up. And uh, you know some of, some of you that were following me on Strava might might have seen me post like two charts and two sets of summary data and things like that, just to kind of let you know what was going on. But I was even talked to, to to my uh, to my doctor about this, uh, you know, about the kind of the prospect of what it takes to rehab from a broken pelvis and. Um, you know, how long it might take for somebody to recover. So what was interesting for me was that, uh, you know, I kind of started after about four weeks, but it took about 15 weeks or so. But I think it was at the 15 week mark where I was actually able to put out at least on a steady level, uh, not peak level, but steady level, I was able to put out as much power on my left leg as my right leg. So it took a, quite a bit of time to get there. Um, but at, like I said, about the 15 week mark, I was able to concentrate and actually produce just as much power on my left leg as, as my right leg. So that was pretty cool. And, you know, it's still on the, we're still on the rehab front. So I'm not nowhere near where I was before the injury, but, uh, but things are good. You know, I think one of the things that I could probably say pretty confidently is 
having had a pretty strong training load going into that, um, being in really good shape before the injury, you know, that's let me, that's allowed me to kind of rehab. It was a pretty severe pelvic injury. You know, it was called a complex fracture. So it was, it was fractured in three spots, um, you know, dangers for internal bleeding and things like that. So it was pretty severe. Um, but I managed to recover really, really quickly and really well. So, uh, you know, it's a testament, I think, to all of us that ride bikes and kind of stay fit and stuff like that. I think that's the, one of the benefits is that we're able to kind of recover from injury. So certainly happened with me. Um, and uh, very fortunate that uh, I was in decent shape when, uh, when I got injured. So, but so yeah. far, so good. You know, it's been, I know I've had a few ch chances to ride outside. I know that uh, Scott hasn't, but, uh, and uh, yeah, you know, sure. I just wrote, just wrote 114K, I think, on the weekend. So it was fun. Just as a, a general question now, uh, occasionally on the Facebook, um, uh, it, it's very likely that at some point, uh, a group of cyclists, somebody's going to get injured, somebody's going to um, break an arm or, or something, like something bad might happen. So um, with you having gone through this rehab, is there anything perhaps that you could share on your side um, in terms of, of managing how you return to training? Uh, kind of using exert. So did you just kind of let your signature decay, let the training load come down? And then um, kind of how did you start that the, the return on the bike? Because I think there's a lot of valuable information that um, some of our users might find, especially if they've found themselves with an injury that requires them to take four to six or more weeks off the bike. Uh, and then they might be curious kind of how, how you managed or how you'd recommend uh, kind of returning to the bike after, after that, that sort of injury. Well, for me, it was a little bit, I guess, a little bit different in the sense, because I was tracking two different sides. So I had to kind of estimate what my right side fitness was and what my left side fitness was. So my left side, it was the injured side. So I had to kind of estimate that. So I think that I allowed the signature decay using optimal, uh, using, sorry, using no decay to decay for my right side. So I'm assuming that it can kind of maintain the same fitness that I had uh, before the injury. And then my left side, it kind of had the guess. So, you know, I, there was a little bit of an estimate in terms of, I think I'd reduced it by about 10% initially. Um, but then, you know, we did have an opportunity to do a Ronestat session. Uh, I did it on both sides and, and I managed to get a breakthrough on both legs, which was kind of fun. And they both went up uh, more than I expected them to, which was kind of fun as well. And so it was, um, you know, you're, 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 you're using the decay and you're not seeing, you know, obviously you're going to get, I had like a month off, right. Where I had nothing. And so my numbers came down pretty severely. I was at, I think four stars and it went down to about three. So I lost a whole star. So it was more than I think about 30, 30 points of training load in that process. So, um, so yeah, it was, uh, you know, trying to get a, an estimate based upon that decay setting where, where you think your signature might be when you start up again. Uh, and then you can, you know, obviously it wasn't able to kind of get a breakthrough too early with my left side because it was still, uh, still rehab, but, um, didn't take long before. So you, so you just started with more like endurance and LTP work and just kind of yeah. use the low signature train for a little bit until you felt kind of ready to, to go out and reset that signature. Exactly. Like I, I think on my left side, I, when I first started, I could, I could barely get over like what three, 400 Watts. You know, I just couldn't put out any power because mm -hmm. it was still quite sore, but you know, you could still see, I was kind of watching how much power could I produce every once in a while you try and generate a little more power. So you get up to 500, get up to 600, get up to 700 Watts. So I still had that aerobic fitness relatively. It was really okay. You know, in terms of being able to kind of hold steady state power with my left side, what was really hurting is just the ability to kind of generate lots of force on, on the, on the pedal. So that's when, um, yeah. So, you know, being able to kind of generate that peak power number is something that uh, I'm still working on, right. I still know not near where I was before in terms of being able to generate peak power, but aerobically, I think, you know, my, my lower threshold and the threshold power is almost recovered. So that's, uh, that's in real good shape. So, uh, so yeah. Awesome. Well, I thought I'd uh, also kick it over to, uh, to Steven again here. Maybe he could uh, share a little bit. Uh, I know you've been working on uh, polarizing your training quite a bit. So um, 
once again, for any of our users that are interested in uh, kind of further polarizing uh, their training with Exert, uh, maybe you could share uh, some details about how you've been kind of keeping your easy rides easy and then um, some of the, the hard rides that you've been putting in uh, uh, with uh, more threshold intervals and, and also mixing in some of your outdoor rides because I, I know uh, you've been able to get in uh, quite a few outdoor rides already. Yeah, well, I guess this past winter, I've set it to be, you know, really made a, made a goal to be as polarized as possible with my training. And uh, so, so they've, you know, you can look at it and say they've been, it's been boring, but I think it's been very productive. Uh, and I haven't been personally kind of bored with it at all. The Endurance rides have been anywhere from two hours to I've joined in some uh, some swift rides with the Massachusetts group of over four hours where it's all just very, very uh, base level endurance rides. So I've been on one hand keeping my heart rate at about 110 beats per minute, which for me is about 55, 60 percent of heart rate reserve. So they've been very much in that base effort and uh, anywhere from hour and a half up to, again, over four hours long. And then every fifth or sixth, fifth or yeah, fourth or fifth day, I've been doing one hard workout and the workout has really been a variation of either gasoline or um, which is an eight minute interval, three by eight minute intervals or else uh, variations of towers workout which is a five minute interval with a start hard start and then a hard finish of 30 seconds each and in the middle it's right around a bit over threshold i've modified it to what i call compressed towers which is the overall effort is at my threshold power but uh, so it's a little bit easier and but the recovery is a lot shorter but anyways a lot of longer effort threshold or slightly higher rides along with the easy rides being very, very easy. And over the winter, I've set it to no decay since my last breakthrough was in early mid November. And, um, at that time, uh, you know, I've just said on no decay throughout. And then I finally did a, I led a sessions ride, last week or a week ago on, on uh, using the Ronestad workout or a variation of it. And I had a breakthrough of about plus 10 watts um, in threshold power. So at the same time, my, my actual training load hasn't changed. It's been right at around 90 throughout, but yet I was able to with this polarized model of training really bump up my threshold power and my high intensity energy and peak power stayed essentially the same. So going back to why I was doing this is I also wanted to really switch away from kind of the Ronestad type, very intermittent type of efforts that is my bread and butter to much longer intervals to force myself to be able to ride at threshold and ride at a steadier effort, which is always my weakness, especially since this coming summer, probably most of my cycling goals is going to revolve around kind of long, steady effort, bikepacking, gravel riding type of efforts rather than racing. So, so I think it's been quite successful that way. And, um, and yeah, I've just been really, really disciplined with not overdoing the intensity, but when I do it, it's really, really hard kind of, uh, draining efforts. That's pretty impressive. So you had no decay on for, uh, four-ish months and yep. we were, we were within 10 Watts, uh, more or less, uh, within 10 Watts of threshold after that many months without a breakthrough. That's pretty, that's pretty mm -hmm. neat. Uh, so how have you been managing, um, I know you do some of your weights and some of your um, bouldering and stuff too. Um, now I know there's a lot of our users that also perhaps do bouldering or lifting or some sort of cross training. Uh, do you account for any of those uh, kind of in your profile or how do you uh, kind of manage those on top of your cycling training? Yeah, I guess that's the other thing I've been really kind of focused on 
kind of weight training also over the winter, uh, especially since we've been locked out of our gym for a long while. But I've been doing about three weight sessions a week, and it's kind of an all over core and kettlebell type session and uh, you know, not necessarily focused one day on you know back or arms or whatever. It's a pretty overall balanced workout. And have I incorporated them into exert kind of, yes, I have. And I know, and it seems to have worked over the summer, given kind of the, um, the results of the breakthrough with the no decay that, I, my workout is typically about three sets, 45 minutes, and I put that down to about 15 XSS overall just to keep something in there. It's from past experience, it works about right for me, and uh, I don't set it to any particular focus. I just put it as an endurance focus. And then when I go bouldering, I typically put it at, again, about 15 to 20 XSS per hour, depending on whether I'm really pushing it hard or whether I'm just doing a kind of different type of bouldering workout. So I found over the times I have added in my kind of non-bike or non-kind of aerobic efforts. And I've done that too when I was in Kelowna where I was doing a lot of, lot of uh, snowboarding, for example. And, and I find the system that I've used to add kind of XSS to exert, it, it works. And, you know, the... The system is pretty accurate, even when I do go back and do a breakthrough effort. That's pretty good. So a little bit of a, a trial trial by error, uh, if you will, but uh, you found something that works pretty well for you. So I think that's helpful because there's quite a few people that either add running in or, or strength training or something. A, a lot of people don't just cycle, I guess. Maybe, uh, maybe Armando and I are some of the crazy few. <laughs> All of our exercise is cycling, but that's okay. Well, um, I've been kind of restricted. You know, I, I tried running. Uh, it mm-hmm. didn't go. <laughs> it didn't go too well. Although <laughs> I have to say, broken hip. Yeah, I have to say, I've been doing some stairs, and that, I think I think that's kind of helped me uh, quite recently. So, uh, you know, doing lots and lots of flights of stairs doesn't seem to hurt too much, and and uh, I'm hoping to get some cross training benefit out of that for sure. Okay. Uh, well, I do want to keep things moving here. So um, I know we've been busy the last couple of months and it's it's good to, to catch people up with what we've been uh, working on. But um, I thought I'd maybe um, uh, start us off next with um, perhaps some of the uh, interesting data that came out of uh, one of the classics for this year. Um, so I, I know um, we th- there was actually a lot of discussion about it on Twitter, on our Facebook forums, um, but uh, Perhaps we can talk a little bit about uh, some of the data that we were able to pull from from Strada Bianchi and and uh, kind of what we were able to observe from the data that perhaps wasn't available even during the live commentary. Yeah, so, you know, I, I I have to say it. I, I think you know, Stephen Scott, you'll agree. This the racing season so far has been really exciting. You know, I think um, you know the uh, uh, the um, uh, results that we're seeing and some of the performances that we're watching from Matthew Vanderpoel. I, I think, I think uh, after seeing Matthew Vanderpoel and, and uh, Wout race this year, I think uh, it, it makes me want to finally be a cyclocross racer. Ste- mm-hmm. Steven's wishes finally come true. I, I, I want to go do some cross races because if, if, if that type of racing makes me as fit as they are, then, then I want to be on that. <laughs> Well, you know, if there's something there potentially, you know, I'm wondering if there is a kind of, is there a benefit from coming from cross into road cycling and what that benefit is? So I'm sure a lot of people are, are, you know, especially in sports science, starting to scratch their heads and think, oh, how does, how does that work? Why, why are we seeing as guys like Vanderpoel and, and Van Aert doing so well on the road cycling scene? So I think certainly a lot of speculation in terms of what the training differences would be and, and what kind of physiology might be different from cyclocross and how it's better transferable into road cycling. So I think that's an interesting topic. What do you think, Stephen? Yeah, well, obviously I'm a cross geek, so I've been following Vanderpool and, and Van Aert since they were juniors. And, and um, yeah, it's just amazing what they can do. And it might speak to the benefits almost of the idea of reverse periodization of 
typically in the winter time is when people build their base and then you become more specific kind of and build through into race season. Now, you know, one thing that may, may be the case with cyclocross is that it's actually the reverse. You build your intensity in the, you know, in the winter months. And then, you know, you saw Welt go off to a, to a almost like four week long altitude training camp where it's mostly, I would presume kind of building up the endurance and obviously letting the altitude do its work. And, and then, so he, but he already in a sense has that base of high intensity work. And, and uh, so it might be a different model of, of uh, kind of periodization it's never just kind of one way is possibly the right way certainly not for everyone so i think it just highlights the possibility and the potential benefits of this kind of reverse periodization model yeah yeah i i, I think that makes a lot of sense and, and i think you know looking at it from the exert standpoint we can speculate from from exert what that means and that in the sense that you know, there's the value in training your threshold, even uh, through using through uh, fatigue methods. So basically, you're looking at using high intensity, not necessarily to build your capacity for high intensity, but to generate fatigue, where that fatigue can then be applied to your lower intensity system. So there is math in exert that kind of suggests that that would be possible. And that you could elevate your threshold through fatigue method, uh, mechanisms. So rather than just making it about long, steady rides, just riding low and putting in lots and lots of hours, obviously that still works and that's still a valid method, but you could still go at it through, through intensity. And that is, and you, and you kind of see that even in cross races when you're high intensity, but then you've got to hold. So you've got to, you really got to push hard, but then you got to be able to hold intensity. And that process of holding intensity while you're, while you're fatigued is really a way to put strain on that lower intensity system. So you could almost argue that there is some math behind exert that would suggest that that kind of training, um, that way of training would indeed give you stronger numbers across the board. So you're not, it's not just about your peak power and your, and your HIE getting a boost from that training, but also your threshold as well. So so yeah, it'd be interesting. Again, it's just speculative, of course, but you know, there's certainly there's some math behind exert that would suggest that would that would be possible. And it, it's something that I've been uh, kind of advocating is is uh, you know uh, Stephen loves his Ronstadt workout, and and so if if you look at those sorts of efforts, um, a lot of people think like oh like this is a great high intensity, like this is uh, going to be great for kind of your your HIE. Uh, but I also tell people like it, it's also a very it, it's also a very aerobic workout. Um, so if you look just at the breakdown and strain and XSS from that workout, yeah, you you get a, a a very high dose of both peak and high intensity in that workout. But you even just from a, a low intensity standpoint, um, you'll be getting uh, nearly 135, roughly 120 to 130 low XSS during that session. So despite a lot of that work being done at high intensity, um, a, a lot of it still requires that, that baseline aerobic power. And so especially when you're generating that much fatigue, even if you do the, the run aside workout, and even if you don't get a breakthrough on it, that's still a very high quality session, both in terms of high intensity and just your, your uh, aerobic uh, training as well. So it's something to keep in mind. Uh, like you said, we've got a lot of uh, workouts that um, that do feature high intensity, and then we use that fatigue actually to help build that that uh, low intensity uh, that low intensity system. So one of the other ones I can think of is is our uh, smart bang rang workout. Uh, so it uses a couple of short micro intervals to really draw down that MPA, generate some fatigue, uh, and then you just kind of ride through that fatigue, um, kind of in just just under sweet spot, um, but having done that with, with MPA so far drawn down, you actually find that it is a, a pretty potent low intensity workout. So, um, I think, uh, I've been adding in a lot more of those, um, high intensity or, or low intensity under fatigue sorts of workouts this winter, which, uh, seems to have worked, uh, pre pretty well in terms of growing my, uh, my training load back up to about three stars. 
So I'm sitting right, right around um, 80 training load right now, 80, 85, somewhere around there. Um, but now I think, uh, and, and I've been able to do that roughly on seven, seven to 10 hours per week, which, um, which is a decent amount, uh, but I wouldn't say that's, that's crazy by any means. So um, like I was talking about before, I'm looking forward to the, the warmer weather and, and being able to use some of those longer rides to, to continue my aerobic base. Um, but I think if we go, um, if we uh, head back towards the, uh, the Strata Bianche, uh, discussion that we were having earlier, I, I think um, maybe Armando, you can describe a little bit about um, kind of what we were able to do with the data or, or how um, how we were able to analyze that. Well, it was, it was actually pretty cool because, um, you know, some people beat us to it and posted some results of what they thought on uh, on Facebook. So it kind of, uh, you know, kickstarted that discussion. And it, it was easy to kind of pull down you know, thanks. Thank you, Matthew Vanderpool, for posting your power data. Right, I think that's fantastic that he gave access to his power data on uh, on Strava, and so he did that before with the Amstel Gold race that he uh, that he won a couple of years ago, and he did it again with the Strada Bianca. So it's great. And you know, what was really interesting is that when we examined the data back in uh, you know the first time with that outstanding effort at uh, Amstel Gold, you know, it was a uh, it was a pretty interesting uh, revelation in terms of what we saw in his numbers. Um, and then when we went and analyzed his data from, from the Strata Bianca this year, well, lo and behold, the numbers are very, very close, we think anyways, to what, uh, what they were at Amstel Gold. Now, um, what's very different about these efforts is that, um, you know, he, you know, if we assume that, uh, you know, the numbers are the same, then, you know, that effort at about 50-ish kilometers, or, you know, he was battling out with Julian Alaphilippe, um, he was on his limit. You know, when you look at the MPA data file and you examine that point, that's where the point of failure happened. Wasn't that, it didn't happen at the very, on the last climb. He still had some reserve left relative to his MPA on that final climb. It was still an extremely hard effort for sure. Um, but, you know, looking at his ride file, you know, the last hour and 45 minutes, it's just brutal. So, you know, he's, he he's threw got up some, some, he threw up some uh, Dr. Chung level difficulty numbers there. Yeah. You know, he, 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 he you know, we're estimating like this is again, roughly speaking, right? So we don't know, but this is just from one file. So people ask you how you're able to do this from one file. Well, we can, we got some pretty good numbers. We can make a, a good guess because of how deep he goes and how frequently he went deep in that one ride. We can, and we're roughly estimating where we think he might be. We can have a pretty good guess. So looking at this ride, we think, you know, his, his peak power uh, it's a bit of a guess because we don't have any kind of, you know, kind of peak power efforts here, but um, we're estimating somewhere around 1700 watts would be his likely peak power. It, you know, it could be as low as 16, but looking at his past performances, I think 17 or even higher is possible. So again, that's kind of a, that's probably a little bit of a rougher estimate, but if you look at the other two, I think those are probably going to be more in line where, you know, his, his HIE is going to be in the 38 to 40 range. Um, and his threshold power in the 420 to 425 range is what we're estimating. So, it's, so you know, Vanderpool has got big numbers across the board. You know, so he can he can lay down lots of watts during a sprint. He can lay down lots of watts over threshold for extended periods, and he can hold on to his his power with a very high uh, threshold power for his weight. So he's got he's got everything going for him. And so with that, with those numbers, you know, he was pretty much at his limit. Um, like I said, with battling it out with Julian Alaphilippe, uh, Strata, Strata Bianche, he was um, hanging on for dear life at that moment, but yeah. managed to recover. Um, and then I think what sets him apart from a lot of others and, and anyone that uses exert kind of knows this, right? It's, it's one thing to dig deep and get a breakthrough but to, to kind of hold on after a breakthrough is extremely difficult. Uh, and he shows that he's able to do that in this ride. So he reaches his limit, but doesn't just 
bail, he continues, he, he continues to deep, uh, dig deep again right afterwards. It's a sign of, a, of, a, of obviously somebody who's got some tremendous talent. And he kind of maintains that all the way to the very end. So he's, he's on up and down his, like his MPA never recovers after that point, all the way until the very last sprint, almost reaching a breakthrough on the final climb as well. So oh, tremendous talent. Uh, his difficulty level getting above 160, um, which is very, very high, um, especially let late into a race. So we're talking after about the three hour and 30 mark to get that high of difficulty and reach your breakthrough at that point. Again, the sign of a, a, a tremendous, tremendously gifted athlete. So, so that's uh, an amazing performance overall. I, I think something that uh, would be really interesting if, uh, if we were able to see this MPA data live as part of the as the race analysis, if if we could see this, I think that would help uh, kind of the, the race commenters, uh, like directors, sportifs. I think that would give them so much more data to work with because I think even when you go back and you you watch the replay of the race, uh, even the commenters are saying like something doesn't look right with Vanderpool and uh, with around the fifty k mark, mm -hmm. and, and and so to them they're like what like he should be going here, but he, he can't like what's, what's going on like this. Uh, he, he doesn't have any, but if, if they have, if they have that MPA data live, they could see he's riding right at his limit that he can't ride any harder. He's, he's right at his limit. And, and like you said, just to hit that point. So roughly three hours, three and a half hours, three hours, 45 minutes into the race, he's hitting 180 difficulty, which is incredibly high. And then he maintains it right around 160 difficulty for the last hour of the race, which just try, try and hold 160 XSS uh, just for one hour. And, and you'll, you'll see that's, that it's incredibly difficult. So like you were saying, I think the, the more you use exert and you get familiar with, with kind of how the difficulty works or, or what a difficulty of 180 feels like, and to be able to sustain 160 to 180 difficulty for an hour, like you were saying, is just, uh, mind-boggling <laughs> it's a different effort. it's a different appreciation so the mpa tells the story that's one thing that um you know you get from exert and people who use it kind of understand is that you know that little purple purple wavy line that you see above your power data that's the story like that's what happened right this is i was okay you know if your mpa is at the top of the top of the chart you're like hey i was this is pretty easy for me right it's when it starts to go down that you recognize that's pretty hard. And then when it goes down and reaches your, uh, you know, reaches your power, you're like, that's, that's all I had. You know, that's, mm -hmm. that's, I couldn't go any harder at that point. And so that's the story that MPA tells you. And you can see it right in the, uh, right in Vanderpool's data here, right? Exactly when he was at his limit. In fact, you know, I even posted a picture of the actual point on, on Twitter. I said, <laughs> here's what Google Maps says. This is the point at which he, he failed, right? So you were able to, even pinpoint that on the, on Google Maps and, and uh, you know uh, have that kind of level of specific specific detail on what was what was going on. One thing I want to add though, Scott, is that you know there's there's some reporting of kind of what he was able to achieve. I think in, you know in terms of his you know, how long he held X power for during the climb and during these various points in the ride, you know, and the, you know, the footage of him holding down 800 watts as he was, you know, doing a climb. And, and I think those are all great. Um, and those are kind of reflective uh, kind of visually and kind of what you imagine his power would be, but they still underestimate what he can do. So, you know, there are no, mean maximal power efforts in this file right these these are all up and down up and down efforts so you convert those up and down efforts into one flat out solid constantly constant uh power effort and his numbers are way higher than what have been reported in mm -hmm. you know in those kinds of uh, uh assessments that have been made elsewhere so we really get a you know with with those numbers you know we could we could produce a power curve and that is going to be reflective of what he could do at max. And those are, are, are a lot higher than what have been reported. Which is kind of an interesting thought because so many times uh, people get caught into this trap of like, I, I need to test my five minute power. I need to test my eight minute power, but you can see in race data when nobody, nobody ever really does, maybe in a time trial would might be the exception to the rule, but 
there's, there's never really any efforts where he's just, I'm going to hold my eight minute power and, and hold a nice steady effort. It's, it's all situational. So he's, he's trying to either generate that gap or stick with a break. So I think uh, in terms of exert, being able to kind of estimate what those values might be, but uh, being able to see intermittently how much power they can produce via MPA, I think is, is just so valuable um, in, in terms of uh, how to prepare for an event and even just having that data uh, kind of live and accessible to you in real time, I think is also very cool. And it really is true how MPA really tells the story and of kind of your race. If you were racing kind of really to your limit, obviously, if you're just kind of riding along and not really putting out much effort, then it doesn't. But I just remember, you know, really the first time I kind of when Armando and I were first talking about exert back in early 2016, and I used used the system to track um one of my races there it was hell of the north in in Ontario here and it was it was definitely hellish it was about a 75 kilometer road race it was open pack so it was you know everybody it wasn't in categories so I was racing with cat ones and things and it was a really rolly hilly course and it was also minus two degrees at the start so it was definitely a hard hard race and there was one section where we were going into a headwind and it was just one roller after another. And I remember just a few times kind of being gapped off the back and then just trying to hang on for dear life. And luckily uh, they slowed down in front and I caught back on and, and looking back uh, on my MPA kind of in the file afterwards, lo and behold, you know, those are exactly the points where I was hitting breakthrough after breakthrough after breakthrough, where it was just, MPA was just low. Then I was just barely recovering when I caught back into pack. And then the next rise comes and I was like right at my limit again. And the difficulty was ridiculous. And, and so it matched perfectly my kind of actual how I actually raced. And then later on at about the 50K to go mark where I finally got popped. And, you know, it wasn't where my MPA was draining, but, you know, the difficulty level was just so sustained for so long that even though my MPA dropped a little bit, it was just like pure death to me. So, so it really is an interesting tale when you match the MPA along with how you actually felt and also the difficulty when you're analyzing a race and, that was kind of what really woke me up to. There's really is something here to this MPA kind of model and, and how it can actually reflect your race. Yeah, super cool. And, and once again, just reemphasizing it, Stephen, probably none of those efforts were just steady. Like it wasn't a, a constant 20 minute power output. It was surges here, recovery there, surges here. And so still being able to see that picture uh, kind of during those intermittent uh, efforts, I think it, it does give you some appreciation for uh, for at least what we're able to do. Yeah, they were all 30 second rollers kind of a thing and then and then recover a bit on the downside, another 30 second, 40 second roller and uh, kind of on and on that way. So none of it was a hard, steady state and, and kind of effort. That's something that that we know. So even if, um, like if you're doing study over under uh, efforts with threshold, we've talked about this in previous podcasts before, but I just, I thought it would just be uh, useful to reemphasize it here is you, you can't really, you can't really average that data. Like if you took 20 minutes of that section, even if it was on and off for 20 minutes and you just take the straight average of it, it won't necessarily be the same. And that's because we know that the, the way that you fatigue above threshold is not equal to how you recover below threshold. And so even if you're doing one minute on, one minute off, you might, uh, the, the amount of fatigue that you're able to generate, let's say 10 watts over threshold, will not, it, that same amount of fatigue won't recover in the one minute, 10 watts below threshold. And so as you continue to do those efforts, so if you look at efforts like the Ronasad, even if you made them 30-30, so a couple of our users have been making some like uh, Balot intervals, um, uh, which are 30 seconds on 30 seconds off, even if those were con in, in even power value above and below threshold, you'll see that MPA will continue to decrease the longer and longer that you continue those efforts. And so uh, it, it just goes to show that you, you really can't average the data, but you need to be looking kind of 
second by second at how much power you're producing relative to that MPA. Uh, and, and so as you continue those on-off efforts, you'll see even if the 20-minute power is nowhere near your maximum, what, your, your highest 20-minute power, you might still be able to generate a, a breakthrough. And it's just because of that fatigue that you're generating uh, kind of intermittently and, and riding out towards the end. Yeah, you know, looking at his Vanderpoel's uh, data here, you know, uh, looking at his power curve, you know, he, his, you know, uh, 10 minute power is, you know, we see it as, as, as high as 452 watts. So that's, that's a good number, but that's not what he can hold for, for 10 minutes. So, you know, that's kind of what he held for 10 minutes in the ride itself, but what could he hold for 10 minutes? You know, we estimate somewhere around 490 watts. So, so, so that's the big difference, right? That's, uh, you know, that's almost 70 watts, 65 watts difference between what he had held for 10 minutes in the ride and what we think he could hold. So that's, um, you know, that's kind of the difference. So the, just looking at average power over a race file like this isn't really going to provide you a lot of uh, information on what he actually can do. Uh, it's only giving you what he was able to do in this kind of intermittent race. So, uh, so yeah, it's really cool to take efforts like this race efforts that are truly maximal from a professional athlete and examine them in terms of, uh, you know, what, uh, what their fitness would numbers would be and what could they actually potentially achieve? Y yes, definitely. So, uh, I, I think, um, I think for, for many users, kind of, if, if you're skeptical about uh, exert, uh, what I would really recommend is, is kind of like that aha moment uh, that Steven had. And, and I remember when, when I first got into training, I think I, think I had used, um, I'd maybe used Trainer Road for, for a couple of months. And so I had done uh, my fair share of, of 20 minute uh, FTP tests. And I remember having started the trial with Exert, and, and so I started to upload some of those ride files, and I was like, "Oh, that's amazing!" Like right at right at the twenty minute mark, so right at the end of the that test, it, it showed that I hit my my limit. And then I up, look at the next one, and sure enough, same thing right at the end of that limit. This is amazing. And then, uh, but I I think my true aha moment was on some of the first outdoor rides. Um, so I, I had originally got into cycling kind of uh, with a hand-me-down bike, no power meter or anything for one summer, rode that for an entire summer. And then I was uh, fortunate to, to get uh, kind of my first power meter that, that first winter. And so I had ridden for, I don't know, four or five months all winter, just on the trainer, trying out kind of FTP tests and stuff. And uh, the following summer, as, as the weather started to warm up, uh, I was riding with this uh, local group at Brown's Bike Shop in uh uh, in Fountain City, Wisconsin. And so I would, I would go for the weekly Thursday night ride. And I remember early in the summer, my fitness was still overall pretty low relative to where it is now. And so I remember it'd be roughly an hour, hour and a half long ride. And the first couple of weeks of the year, I'd get dropped maybe 20 minutes into the ride or 25 minutes into the ride. And, and sure enough, later into the summer, I was able to hang on longer and longer. But as I continued to add that data to exert, just being able to, to, to look back and reflect and, and see like, oh, that that's, that's right when I failed. I think that it tells such an interesting story and, and uh, the idea that I didn't need to go out and, and do any sort of these structured tests, but I could go out, have fun, get, <laughs> get my butt kicked and get mm. dropped on, on some of these group rides, but still see that my fitness was increasing, I think was, was something that I, I found really valuable and, and ultra, ultimately interested me enough to, to kind of stick with it. And, and so I think um, as you start to upload those data, uh, especially those max efforts. So if you've got Zwift races, if you've got club rides that are really hard or, uh, kind of KOM attempts on Strava, like if you've got any sort of that maximal data, uh, and you're able to upload that and, and, and kind of see that we can pinpoint exactly when you reach that failure point. Uh, I think it gives you quite an appreciation, uh, kind of for how MPA works and, um, and, and, um, what we're able to do with the software. Yeah, that's, you know, so that's the other side of the coin is you've got the MPA data that tells the story of an effort and a race or a, a ride kind of maximal effort that you may have achieved. But what underlies the MPA is your signature. So what defines MPA, what creates that story is your signature. And that's what, you know, your signature is your three numbers. So, so 
what what MPA means is this is what your fitness was at that time. And so knowing what your fitness was at that time and being able to track how that fitness changes over time is what the next sort of iteration comes out of this process is one tells the story of the of the race. But then when you analyze these over the course of a season, then you can then understand how those those three six signature variables are changing over time as you change your fitness as you train and as you know your own efforts affect your own signature and those numbers change and then you can start to reflect back and say hey you know this is when my training really worked and really allowed me to improve my signature improve my threshold or what have you so so that's the other story behind this it's not just the story of the event but the story of the season of how your fitness signature changes over time well, I think even uh, I, I know we were chatting a little bit about your your training over the winter, Stephen. But you mentioned um, that you could see how your fitness signature changed based on kind of the types of efforts that you've been doing um, relative to your threshold and your HIE. Yeah, I think it's um, you know it was really interesting the combination of of uh, kind of weight work and also the the uh, kind of threshold efforts really changed my my fitness signature and my capacity for doing kind of long sustained efforts, which has always been my weakness, both in terms of just my desire. I just, as I've always said, I just can't stand steady state efforts. And, and uh, I think it also shows you get good at what you do, right? That you... Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm good at those those uh, kind of intermittent efforts. So let's just go do something else. And especially again, you really have to ultimately match your your training with what you're going to be doing. And knowing that even if we do have any racing here it, locally, it's going to be time trials. It's not mm-hmm. going to be you know, high intensity kind of repeated sprints. And you know. Mm-hmm. Later on in the summer, if we know that there might be a chance for cyclocross, then you know, I can gear up to that. But I'd rather really, like you were saying at the start, Scott, kind of push up that threshold mm-hmm. as high as as I, high as I can. And I know it's the highest it's really been at any time in kind of this time of the year in, in the last five, six years of tracking it with exert. So mm-hmm. I know I have a really good base now to build it with. And Again, the really neat thing is it's been done without any change in my total training load. It's been, again, from November till now, it's been right at about 90. Hasn't really dipped much, hasn't really uh, gone above 95 ever over this time. So it's been able to kind of switch my fitness without necessarily just, uh, you know, kind of more time at or more work. So it's... uh, it's, it's again, a neat way to track your fitness over the course of a year that way. And again, the nice thing is it's been able to do it without, you know, systematically doing testing over and over and over again and doing kind of the same, whatever 20 minute test or anything like that, or an eight minute test. It's just been able to take my fitness and then, you know, it's been pretty good estimate throughout the, um, the four months or so. Mm-hmm. And, and interesting that uh, it roughly identified how your training distribution is different than maybe some other years. So you mentioned that your threshold's gone up uh, roughly 10 watts because you've been doing a lot of those easier sessions. You've been doing some of the threshold sessions, but you haven't been doing a lot of the, the high, high intensity, like Ronestad's kind of those intermittent high power efforts. And so you do, uh, you, you did mention a, a very slight decrease in your HIE just because you're not doing those sorts of efforts. And so we're kind of reflecting that like there's, there's none of these high intensity, high, high intensity efforts going on. So HIE is kind of uh, maybe lower than it might've been for you in years past, but kind of you've, you've traded now instead of spending that time focusing on building that high XSS, you've kind of shifted, you've built a, a, a larger amount, like your, your training distribution, your total training load, more of it might be low training load this year relative to years past. Yeah, absolutely. And again, my threshold power now is around 240, the highest it has ever, ever been in my kind of life. Uh, Certainly with tracking with exert has been 
250, 252 kind of range. So I'm not far off mm-hmm. there at all. And again, as I increase my training, when I'm riding more outdoors and can increase my training load, you know, it'll, it'll come. And so now I have a really good base and I, I can, uh, as the spring progresses, I can really focus on building that HIE even more. So it's, uh, so I guess what I've been doing has been a very traditional build your base, build your aerobic base kind of um, training over the last four months of winter. And I think it just goes to show, you know, there is value in that, that it, it, it will work. But, you know, there are other ways too, as we've been talking about with Vanderpool and, and Van Aert and the other kind of cyclocrossers possibly doing another way. There's never one right way. So feel free to experiment. It's really, you know, just you as the guinea pig and uh, see what really works for you. This is the first time I've really systematically done this. And, uh, and again, it's worked well for me. Well, you know, it's, it, there's, there's, there's certainly, a, you know, I've been asked this question quite a bit um, in the past by various athletes. And, you know, what are the kind of the second order effects of training? Meaning that are there changes to the underlying physiology that underpins your signature? So outside of the training load metrics themselves. So we know the training load, you train your HIE, it goes up. You train your peak power, it goes up. You train your threshold, it goes up. So we track those kind of ups and downs of those individual training loads and those individual variables. So that's the kind of the first order kind of understanding of fitness. But there are second order things that are harder to quantify, but we kind of understand physiologically can happen. And that is that, you know, your you, there are, there are potential trade-offs. So is there a way to trade off, you know, your HIE and your peak power to get more threshold power? And is that, is that just because of the dynamics of your training or is there some underlying physiology that could be, that could be taking place? And we think that there is, right. There is the kind of conversion of muscle fiber types and things like that, that you could argue from a, from a physiological standpoint, but I think there's also, we see that in the data, it's not always consistent. You know, you can, you can show an improvement over our expectation of your threshold. So just the way Steven was describing, you know, he's boosted, he outperformed what exert was suggesting he could perform with his threshold and he outperformed that through training. So how that works is still, that's a big mystery. That's a hard one. And in some ways, I've described those in the past as being the secrets. So, you know, the, the, what's not a secret is training threshold increases threshold. Training HIE increases. Those, you know, those things we know. And we can help you quantify those and track those and improve those and be, be the best that you can be within that kind of scope. But what's hard to really understand is where, is, where does that, where the, do those numbers decouple? And for what reason, how are they decoupling? Is it because of the specific type of training that you're doing? Are there other, you know, is it, are you doing other types of training that are, are not included in your training load that could be, and maybe should be showing you that you're actually fitter than what is just captured at the power meter. These are things that, you know, are really hard to quantify, but that's kind of where, you know, some of the understanding needs to be, you know, it's easy should be easy now for anybody using exert saying, if I train more, I, I can be fitter. Yeah. We can help you do that. Help you, you know, if you train more, your numbers go up. We know that, but how do you outperform those? What can you do to be even better than what we think you can be? I think those are some of the secrets that are still, still, you know, still to be, de- to, to, to be determined. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the secret sauce. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, you know, um, Scott, I, you know, looking at the time here, we're, you know, we want to talk about sessions. I want to talk about sessions too. You know, we, we spent so much effort I, getting this stuff ready. We want to talk yes. about it, but I think I, we're, uh, I, I think we, uh, uh, I think we have to get together again very soon. I think so too. Now I think we've teased people a lot and now I'm, I'm sure they want more. So, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we, this whole topic is obviously, you know, that and EBC and some of the things we were working on, we, eager to talk about those, but maybe we'll have to save those for the next podcast. So we did, uh, did want to say uh, thanks everybody for tuning back in. I, I know it's been quite some time. Um, 
but uh, thank, thanks for coming back and, and hearing us out. Uh, as usual, the offer stands. If you have any um, kind of podcast ideas or something that you'd like to hear about um, us on and kind of uh, our opinions or how we use things, we're always happy to hear those as kind of ideas for future podcasts. Um, so definitely feel free to reach out uh, to us with those sorts of requests. And um, I guess we'll have to get together uh, in the very near future and, and get the, uh, the next episode recorded. Definitely. So, uh, thanks to you, Armando, for, uh, for joining today. And, and thank you, uh, Dr. Chung, for your time this morning and, um, and, and for joining us. So Have a great day, everyone. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, everyone. We'll talk again real, real soon. Awesome. We'll see you guys very soon. We'll catch you next time. Yep. Thanks.